Aleluia. Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. God bless you. Give the play, praise team, but God bless you. That's wonderful. Love that new song. Amen. Look it over at somebody and give them a big smile. Tell them they're looking good this morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Glad to have you here. Appreciate you being here today. Today, uh, I've been really looking forward to this for, for several weeks to talk about this, and uh, uh, there's no way I'm going to get it all uh talked about today we're going to focus on just one thing and then next Sunday we'll talk about the second and possibly the third thing but we're just calling this dreams uh, mystery and divine intervention dreams mystery and divine intervention if you have your Bible read with us in the book of Job the 33rd chapter verses 14 15 and 16 and uh, we're reading out the new King James version it says for God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. That was a pretty amazing passage. And uh, God does some amazing things while we sleep. I think in our culture today, though, we miss it. We've been trained to miss it, but uh, I pray today that your your heart gets stirred up. How many of you dreamed something last night? Hold your hand up. Sure you did. How many of you never dream? How many of you can't remember your dreams? There you go. You're the crowd I'm after. Everybody dreams. You don't always remember your dreams, but scientifically they tell us that every person dreams they dream every night some of us dream uh more vivid seemingly than others i've always said if i had a usb port behind my ear and could record my dreams i could sell the videos make some some money uh, some people dream they say in technicolor in color some dream in black and white and, and uh but I, I want you to think about this before i have you sit down nearly one-third uh, of the Bible is about dreams or is related to dreams or visions. One-third. That's amazing. Uh, that's so interesting to me because if we sleep eight hours a day, then you sleep one-third of your life. So by the time you turn 60, you have slept for 20 years. Right? Can you imagine that? 20 years you've been asleep. Some more, some less, right? God can say an awful lot to you in 20 years. And he does that a lot of times through dreams. So that's what we want to talk about today. Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives and through our lives as we yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the grace of God that has appeared to all men. We thank you, Lord God, for speaking to us. And we pray even in, as we are still fresh in this new year, that we would, Lord God, be awakened to your voice, to your communication, to your speech, to your language, the language of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. God bless you. you may be seated. That's an amazing thing to think about that you've slept 20 years of your life if you're 60. And uh, 
it's not just an Old Testament thing about dreams, it's, it's New Testament as well. Um, when the church is birthed, we see in Acts, just almost every single decision that that early church made, they made that decision based on either a dream, a vision, a prophecy, or a divine intervention from God into the lives of the church and his people. Now, I want you to think about this, and I just want to hit some highlights, but when Joseph and Mary, the mother of Jesus, Remember, she got pregnant by the Spirit of God, and so she tells that to her husband, Joseph, who is, she's a spouse to him, right? And they're already legally engaged in that Jewish culture. And uh, so she tells him that she's pregnant with God's child. Uh, he didn't believe a word of it. So he's going to divorce her. That's what it means when you're reading the King James, that he's going to put her away privately. And we've talked about this before, but the reason he was going to do it privately, because if he publicly divorced her, then her sentence would be death. Uh, adultery was uh, a capital punishment sentence, and she would have been stoned to death. So he loved her, obviously, and he didn't want to publicly divorce her and to see her life ended, but he was going to privately divorce her because he didn't believe a word of what she said. And, uh, and so how did God choose to communicate the truth to Joseph so that he wouldn't divorce Mary? He did it in a dream. In Matthew 1 and 20, it says, But while Joseph, while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. How about that? God used a dream to speak to Joseph, and he told him, you know, not to be afraid to take Mary, your wife. That that is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then later on when Jesus was born and he was a toddler, he wasn't in the manger, and that's another sermon. But when the wise men came, we don't know how many of them they were, the wise men were never at the manger, that's just a tradition that's not true. And, uh, and so uh, I hope I don't mess up your Christmas cards. It will. But the fact is it is very clear in Scripture that the wise men were never at the manger scene, never at the nativity scene. Uh, the Bible says that they came to the house, H-O-U-S-E, where not the infant but where the child uh, was with his mother. There wasn't nobody there but Mary. And, uh, and Jesus when the wise men showed up at their house where they lived. And those wise men came in and worshipped the child, the toddler, uh, Jesus. And uh, Herod was trying to find out where Jesus was so he could kill him. And so God chose in Matthew 2, 12 to warn the wise men not to return back to Herod. Because Herod said, once you find the child, you come back and tell me so I can go worship him. Of course, he was a liar. He just wanted them to tell him so he could go kill him, send out orders to kill him. So in verse 12, they, being divinely warned, how? In a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Look in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to who? To Joseph. How? In a dream. And he told him to arise and take the young child. Notice it's the young child. This is not an infant again. This is a young child. Wise men have just left. Joseph went to sleep. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and you stay there until I bring you word, because Herod's going to seek the young child to destroy him. So we see God, even in the protection of his own son, using dreams as a method and a means to communicate his uh, word to Joseph. And so human reasoning has really affected our culture. And it's taken a toll on the church today. 
And yet, but God is the one that has chosen these kind of channels uh, to speak to men. It's not the only way he speaks to men, but I want to tell you, I believe with all my heart, it's a very neglected way uh, uh, that men are not recognizing when God is speaking to them. And some of you may say, well, why in the world would God, you know, want to talk to me uh, in a dream? Well, that's the only time you're not talking. Some of us, right? Um, and so he's using that one-third uh, to talk to you of time while you are asleep, while you are somewhat yielded, and he's speaking to you, to your spirit, while you sleep in your, in your dreams. Well, why would God do that? Because he wants to. Uh, Proverbs 25 and 2, Solomon wrote this. He said, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter but the glory of kings to search out a matter. So somehow God gets more glory in concealing a matter than he does in revealing it just plainly. Some people say, well, why don't God just speak plainly? Why don't he just say what he wants to say in English or whatever language I can understand and just say it clearly and distinctly and clearly and there wouldn't be any? Uh, because it, gets, it brings God glory to conceal it. And listen to me, when God hides something, he's not hiding it from you. He's hiding it for you. It's much like a parent does uh, on Easter when they, uh, with great joy, they go out and hide the eggs for the children, right? And they're not hiding them from them, they're hiding them for them. And that parent gets a lot of joy watching that child have the heart and the excitement and the curiosity and the joy to go out and search for what's been hidden, not from them, but for them. And then you ever seen the parents when the child really can't find where they hid them? Maybe the parent hit it a little bit too well, so they go and stand near it, and they kind of give hints, you know, and they direct the child to what's been hidden for them. That's what promises are from God, and some of you are standing way too far away from the promises that God has for you. You need to stand close to those promises because God's got something hidden for you all through the Bible. Uh, God conceals things, and you say, well, it's the glory of kings to search it out. The New Testament said we're all kings and priests unto the Lord. He's king of kings. Those kings he's king of, we're those kings. He's not talking about kings and nations. He's talking about that kingly uh, priesthood of the kingdom of God that we've been birthed into. We are citizens of heaven. We have a king, and his name is Jesus. Somebody say amen. And all through the Bible, you see God using dreams to communicate to his children. We, most people are pretty familiar in Genesis of the story of Joseph. He's a teenager. He's 17 years old. And he has a dream. And the dream's kind of, I guess you would might, might say weird. He, he sees, you know, barley sheaves, you know, where they would harvest the barley and the grain and tie it into sheaves. He sees sheaves bowing down to him. And he tells his brothers. He, he tells them the dream. And when he tells them, they had no, in they had no problem interpreting it. And they said, are you saying that we're going to bow down to you? And they're like, never. And it didn't really bless them. They didn't like it. And then in uh, Genesis 37 and 9, Joseph comes back and says, well, if you, like, you didn't like that dream, you're going to really hate this one because I've had another dream. And he said, in this dream, and, and when he's telling this dream, they're all there. His mother and his father are there. And he's telling all of them, and he says, I, I had this dream, and he said, this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. Somebody say pizza. Now, you would think that's a pizza dream. Now, a lot of times when you see sun, moon, and stars in the Bible, 
Some of you think about the literal sun and moon and stars, and that's why you get a lot of crazy prophetic teaching that's weird. And in Revelation, when it talks about stars and falling from the sky, it's not talking about the literal stars that are going to fall out of the sky, not even in the future. It's, it always symbolizes power, authority, men, rulers. And so here, the, the sun and the moon is Joseph's parents. And so it's, it's Jacob, and, and, and it's his mother. And the, the uh, 11 stars are his 11 brothers. And it says in verse 10, so he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father, look at this, his father rebuked him. His father, this is a God-given dream. And his father doesn't understand it, doesn't receive it. And he says, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. At least he kept it in his mind. At least he thought about it. He didn't understand it. Yeah, he said, how is my, my next to the youngest son, Joseph was next to the youngest of, of 12 brothers, how uh, is this, you know, how are we going to be bowing down to this, you know, to my kid? How, how, how are we going to do that? And then remember later on when Joseph did come into authority and power, he did it by interpreting dreams. Remember the butler and the baker? These guys had dreams and Joseph was in prison and they shared their dreams because they were in prison too. And, and so Joseph had a skill to interpret dreams. And the butler told him that I had a dream, and I dreamed about a, 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 a vineyard, a, a vine, grapevine, and I was crushing the grapes into a cup and handing it back to, to Pharaoh. And, and he said, I saw three vines. And, and he shared that with Joseph. And Joseph said, well, let me tell you what that dream means. To, it means that in three days, the three vines are three days, and in three days you'll be restored back to your position, and you'll be putting the cup back into Pharaoh's hand. And the baker said, hey, 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 hey I, I had a dream. Let me tell you mine. You know, he was like, I want to get in on this. So he says, I, I had a dream, and I saw three baskets that are made to hold bread. Two of them were empty, but the last one was full of bread. But the birds came and lifted the bread out of the basket. What does that mean? Joseph said, uh, what it means to you is that in three days, those three baskets represent three days, that uh, Pharaoh's going to lift your head off your shoulders. And you'll be hung and killed, and the birds will eat your flesh. Now, who wants to line up for dream interpretation, okay? Well, how in the world did he get that? How did he know that? Well, first off, the Holy Spirit's the one that gives interpretation of dreams. That's why I've never been too very excited, and I know some of you have them, and that's fine. I'm not bashing, you know, all that. But you have to be careful when you go to the Christian bookstore and you buy books that are, you know, like dream guidelines or what dreams mean or what everything means in your dream because you're tempted to make that a law. In other words, you know, this item, this thing, this person in your dream always means this. That's not true. Because just like all Scripture, all Scripture has to be taken in context to be understood. So it is with dreams. Your dreams and what their meaning is has to be taken in context with what, you know, what, what's going on in the dream and is specific to you and in uh, your life. Uh, we got dreams that are hard to understand. They didn't make a lot of sense. Remember when Gideon was being uh, invaded, uh, uh, the land of Israel, by the Midianites. And so Gideon sneaks down to the camp of the Midianites. This is in Judges 7 and 13. And he, he's hiding behind one of those tents of those soldiers. And Gideon is far, far outnumbered. Uh, you know, there's 30,000 of them, 300 of Gideon. And yet he hears a dream that one of the soldiers is sharing with his comrade. 
And he says, in this dream, I saw a loaf of barley roll down the hill and hit one of our tents, and the tent collapsed. And he says, what do you think this means? And the guy said, that can be nothing but the sword of Gideon and the army of the Lord. And uh, he said, we're defeated. And Gideon goes, yeah, that's what that dream means. But here you see God using dreams to communicate, and it gave Gideon the confidence to go and attack them and do what God told him that he was going to be victorious in that battle. And so all through uh, the Bible we see this, through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in my life I have been preaching for well over 30 years now and been pastoring for 26 years. So you can believe in that length of time I've talked to a lot of people about dreams and about their dreams. And, and let me say this about dreams to you. Dreams, your dreams, are primarily uh, several things. Now, you know that every dream you have is not God trying to talk to you, right? If you, if you watch the Discovery Channel about Python swallowing things right before you go to bed, you are very likely to have a dream about snakes. And that's not God. That's your brain processing the information you put in it. So think of it like this. You work at an office. I'm just saying, you know, not really. But in other words, your, your mind is like a desk, and throughout that day, all kind of paperwork is put on there. Images and things and, and tasks and jobs and good things and bad things, they're all piled on your desk. And so what you do at night, you go to sleep. And at night, while you are sleeping, you're dead. you got to file all those papers. And so your mind does something with all those things. Through it, that, that, that information and all that that hits you that day. Does that make sense? That's one way. And, and, in fact, military, I've read where military uh, armies, just like when our army was uh, invading, uh, where did Noriega live? In, uh, what? Panama, that's right. So when, you know, remember when they were trying to get Noriega and he was held, held in there and wouldn't surrender and all that kind of stuff, what did our army do? They, they, they blasted uh, music, hard rock and roll, acid, head-banging music in there, and you might go, that's stupid. Why would they do that? Maybe he likes that kind of music. Maybe he's in there jamming out. I don't know. No, no. They're, what they're trying to do is stop him from, from sleeping. And they've used this all over the world. So when a, they, they use it at times to stop a person from sleeping. Why? Because their study has proven that if you can stop a person from sleeping, guess what you do? You stop them from dreaming. And if you can stop a person from dreaming, they'll go insane. God is the one that designed sleep. Don't you know that God could have made us never to sleep? There's times I've wondered, like, why did you make us like that? That's a big waste. I'll sleep when I'm dead. No, no, you know what I'm saying. I mean, not really, but, but you know, it seems like we're wasting so much time. Man, 20 years of your life, you're in the bed if you're 60. You're sleeping 20 years of your life away. You mean, you know, and, and I, used to, I used to be, you know, up until I had grandchildren. Really, I was like, and we're all different. Everybody's different. But I never took a nap. I mean, I didn't believe in them. I mean, I just wouldn't. I, if you saw me in the bed in the afternoon, it's because I'm sick. You, I just didn't nap because I felt like I'm wasting time if I'm napping. And I'd have other people look at me that like, are you kidding? That's, I mean, I live for naps. You know, and, I, and pastor, I'm always talking and talking to people. They want to go home and get their Sunday nap in or go home and get their Sunday. Something. Some of you are going, yes, I can't wait to get home and do that today. It's a good day for napping. And I always felt like I was wasting time. And I just never would do it. But when I got those grandchildren, then, you know, they, they have to take naps or you, or you have to, you know, choke them later. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> they need their naps. And so uh, I would have the privilege of, of uh, 
rocking them, you know, getting them their nap, and I found myself falling asleep with them. And uh, so now I don't hate naps so bad. And probably age too, but I can kind of do a nap now, if, you know, if, it, if the mood strikes. But, but you got to think how God made us and how God made you. Now listen to me. So you're kinda, your brain is kind of processing all the information. That's one thing that dreams do. Listen, secondly, what dreams do, listen, your, your dreams are a letter from you to you. Remember that now. Your dreams are a letter from you to you. So your dreams are revealing to you what's going on in your life, what you're worried about, what you're afraid of, and, 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 uh, and God's plan for your life and design has been communicated to you. And a lot of times God, just like we, he said in the text, God is sealing those orders. Sometimes, how many of you, seriously, now just think, I know it's a little bit different today. But how many of you have ever been doing something in, in real? I'm not talking about the dream, but you, you've been doing something. And it seemed like I've done this before. I, I've already done this one time. And, and, and you haven't done it, but you just know you've done it. They call that, what, deja vu or something. You, you, you just know that I've done this before. Where did that get communicated to you? In the dream. You actually, that was imprinted or imparted or communicated to you in the dream. And so you're actually, that's why you've seen it before. Because you dreamed it before. So, so it's a letter from you to you. Not all your dreams is God trying to talk to you. Now one thing you're going to learn about God in God's communicating, God's not a big talker. In other words, he doesn't yak long messages. All the years that I've ever served God, when God does speak, they're very short, but they're powerful. Uh, I, you know, when I see somebody roll out a long scroll that God said this, eh, probably not. You know, now maybe, but I'm not 100%. But my experience and what I see in the scripture is when God speaks through dreams and visions, that dreams are very pointed and they come packed with revelation. So like when, when I was being called into the ministry, I officially started preaching in March of 1986. I know I don't look that old. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, so, but I, w- I had wrestled over this calling on my life. I was a paramedic. Uh, I was actually the chief of the, had just been promoted to the chief of the Merch Medical Service in Tifton. Uh, loved my job tremendously. Loved what I did. Um, was good at it and was blessed in it. And yet for three and a half years, God had been calling me to preach the gospel in the way I'm doing today, calling me in the ministry. We're all in the ministry, but he was calling me specifically to do what I'm doing before you today. And I was resisting it a little bit, uh, not, not out of just rebellion, but just out of not being sure. I was one of those guys that if God wanted me to do something, I wanted him to send like Gabriel down like he did to other people in the Bible and let him stand in my bedroom at night and burn two holes in the carpet where I could always point there and show you where Gabriel you know, stood there in flames of fire from heaven and spoke to me, and, and he, you know, and he gave me this, you know, Holy Ghost facts from heaven. But that's not the way God does, because that doesn't require faith. It just requires eyes and ears, and God's going to require faith. So I was wrestling with it, but I knew that God was calling me to preach the gospel. And so I had a cousin, first cousin, that uh, was in prison, uh, and uh, I, I just say that because that's where he was. And uh, he'd had some difficulty in his life, and he had been sentenced to prison for a good little uh, while there. And so we weren't communicating, hadn't talked or anything. But, and he didn't know what's going on in my life. 
I had been, I had, I had a lot of natural things going on in my life, and those things sometimes can put a lot of pressure on us. So I had been promoted to the chief of the EMS at 26 years old. Uh, my wife's parents that we were so close to, after you know, moving here and being around us for over 10 years, and and you know, dropping off their daughter, which I married to me, but they decided to move back to Texas where they were from. And uh, so they, they moved away. That was heart-wrenching. Uh, so that was a big deal. So the promotion was a big deal, a lot of pressure, a lot of change. Uh, I had to move from where I lived to Tifton, which wasn't that far, but it's still a move. I changed churches. I left the church I'd been in since I was 12, and entered into a new church and new people and making new friends and new pressures. And, and all of a sudden, not just because of that, but I found my life in, in, in depression. And I'm talking about I went into a realm of depression that was horrible. And, and, and I'd been depressed before, but, you know, a day or two, a few days or something. But this was lasting for months. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that part, but I just want you to kind of get the scene. But I, I, I was going to see, a, you know, doctors because I couldn't eat. I, I was throwing up every day of my life. Uh, they run a tube down my throat and said, you, you know, you've got, you know, your stomach line has been eat up and, they gave me some medical reasons, but there really wasn't nothing they could do to cure it. And I remember sitting with a doctor with my dad at, at my side because he was that concerned that he met me at that doctor's office. And, and that doctor told me, and you've got to remember I'm 26 years old, and that doctor said, if you don't break this cycle you're in, you're going to physically die. Do you understand me, he said. And I'd already been admitted to the hospital. I was dehydrated, of course, if you're not eating well. They'd give me fluids, pump me back up. But I was back to the same condition again. I was depressed. I felt like a failure as a Christian because Christians are not supposed to be depressed. They're supposed to be the happiest people on the planet. I wasn't. I felt like a failure. Uh, and I was just in a real bad way. And so that doctor said, I'm going to admit you back in the hospital again. I mean, you're dehydrated. We've got to get fluids in you. And, and, uh, and so I said, I'm, and he walked out to get the orders. I told my dad to go get him because I'm not going in to be admitted anymore. I ain't even paid the bill the first time. I'm, not, I'm just not doing this. So he goes to get the doctor. The doctor wasn't happy. He said, I'm going to write you up AMA. That's where I learned what AMA meant, against medical advice. So he wasn't happy. And that's when he looked at me and said, you're going to die if you don't break this cycle. Well, I done had people tell me to snap out of it. And if I could have snapped, I'd have done snapped. If I knew how to break out of it or get free from it, I would have already freed myself. But I couldn't do it. At least I didn't know how. And I remember feeling the lowest I'd ever felt in my life when I left that doctor's office. We walked out to the parking lot, and my dad was getting in his car, and, and, and my dad was crying. He didn't know what to do with me. Nobody did. And I said, Dad, you heard what he said. If somebody don't get a hold of God from me, I'm done. I'm toast. The other thing I didn't tell you that was a big life change event when all that was hitting me was we found out Jill was pregnant with Kristen, my daughter. So I got a new job, pregnant wife. Our parents had moved off and left us. We lost our best friends, so to speak. Just so many things were hitting, too much on my plate at one time. And that was probably what happened. And, uh, and, and the other part, the other dynamic of that that I wasn't even considering was God was calling me into the ministry. And I sure pushed that on the back burner because I ain't got time to be thinking about no preaching. Okay? And I remember that day uh, being so low. And the only thing kind of helped me during that when I was depressed was trying to keep my mind busy. Anybody ever been there? And so I just wanted to do some task. So I'm the chief of the emergency medical service. I got all the bugles on my collar. Some of you don't know. Gene knows what I'm talking about. But I, I, got, I got 34 employees. 
You know what I'm saying? I got people I can say, go here, do this, do that. And so our ambulance station, the, the front deck, the ports needed uh, painting, that gray slate, slate gray paint. I go buy the paint, I buy one brush, and I'm painting it by myself. And I'll never forget the day, because you know what that did? That kind of helped keep my mind occupied. So I'm out there on my all fours, and I'm the chief, and I'm painting the deck. And I remember looking up, and some of my paramedic employees were looking out of the window at me. And they had the weirdest look like I was losing it. Like he's got this promotion, and he's losing it. It's too much pressure for him. And, uh, and I remember when I looked up and saw him looking at me that way, I started, I started crying. Just tears come down my eyes. And I thought, maybe I am losing it. I'm just a mess. I don't know what's going on in my life. And it was right about that time that my cousin in prison had a dream. Everybody say dream. And in this dream, and I know I've shared this with you before, but in this dream, he said he wrote a letter to his dad, my uncle. And he wrote the letter from prison. He mailed it to his dad because he didn't know even where I lived or, you know, whatever. And, and his dad called me when he received the letter. And he read it to me. And I was actually on my job. I was at the EMS. My secretary buzzed me and said, uh, your uncle... Uh, wants to talk to you so she put him through and I talked to him he said he said Dale I want to tell you man I uh, uh you know Phil had a dream today and I want, I want to read it to you that's okay and he, he didn't know what I was going through so he reads me this dream here's the dream he says dad I had a I had a dream the other night but I believe it was a vision before it because it was more real than any dream that I've ever had he said in this dream I saw Dale walking through the snow it was snowing heavily all around him and he said the snow was getting deeper and deeper and he said that he could hardly walk. And I saw Dale take two crutches. And the more he used the crutches to try to walk through the snow, the deeper into the snow he went. And he said, I heard a voice from heaven say to Dale, Dale, throw down your crutches. And he said that the look on his, his face looked like that, that was the wrong thing to do. But he said, but finally, Dale threw down those two crutches. And he said when he threw down those crutches, the sun came out. And his face changed to a bright glow and he lifted both of his arms and hands towards heaven and began praising, magnifying God. And he said that while he had his arms and hands raised, a suit of armor descended from heaven and slipped over his body. And he said when the sun came out, it melted all of that snow away and it turned into a great big lake. And he said Dale reached down and picked up a fishing reel and he began to cast into that big lake. And he said, Daddy, he began to catch big fish. But these fish had the faces of men. But they looked like they had been attacked and mangled all over. But as he would reel the fish in, he said, Dale would reach into the water to lift them out, and they would change to full flesh men. And they would lift their arms and begin praising and magnifying God. The end of the dream. Now, I was sitting at my desk in Tifton at the EMS station when my uncle read those exact words, which obviously I have memorized, and I have the letter. It's one of the most precious pieces of paper I own. And I had wrestled for three and a half years. But as soon as I heard the dream, I knew very clearly that God was speaking to me through that dream, through a person that I thought couldn't even hear God. The guy's in prison, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Wrong thinking, religious thinking. And God uses my first cousin to speak that dream. And I want to tell you, that dream pushed me off the fence. And after that dream, I said, yes, Father. I will obey you. I will preach this gospel and give my life to preaching the gospel. That's what God can do in a dream. He used that. Come on, give the Lord praise for that to confirm that dream.
Now, now, some of you at Grace Point know this little added little token of blessing that I would find only when I found you. And when I would come here in 2010 and become your pastor, then that dream and that occurred in 1985. And in 1985, this building that you are now in, that is Grace Point Church, Valdosta, was ITT Thompson Industries, was a factory, right? My uncle worked here. My uncle's office was in our offices of our church. And that phone call that he called me from that day was out of this building. He called me from this building, from that office, and God called me into ministry and confirmed it from this very property. And I never even knew that. Because on one Wednesday night, when I was first here as pastor, a man came to me on Wednesday night, never seen him before or since. He probably was an angel. No, no, no joke intended. He said, it sure is strange seeing this as a, as a church. Because I remember it when it was a factory. He said, are you kin to any other youngs that may have worked here? And I said, I don't, I don't know. He said, there was a guy who worked here named Jimmy Young. Do you know him? I said, that's my uncle. I said, I knew he worked in Valdosta at ITT. I said, I knew not where. He said, this is where he worked here. The next day I called my uncle and I asked him, I said, remember when you called and read me that dream from Phil? Where were you at? He said, down there where he didn't even know I was pastoring here. He told me where it was and it's from this very place. You know what I heard my father say? Because even in then I was kind of wrestling over my time to even to be here. Did I make the right decision? Was I really supposed to leave my ministry that I'd started to come here to Valdosta? And I heard God say, see there, son, I knew <laughs> years ago when I was calling you that I would send you to this very property and to do the ministry. So God's used that. I remember when I was still in Sparks pastoring and, and, and I was wrestling over whether I should come here or not as pastor. And I was nervous and I was afraid and all those things. But how does God do that in your life? He's, he, he used a dream. So I had one of my ladies in the church, a, a member, and she wanted to meet with me. And she said, Pastor, I just felt like I should come and meet with you. I had this dream. I have no idea what it means. But I felt like I was to share it with you. And I said, okay. Now, some people come tell me really stupid dreams. It's just, you know, science fiction and got nothing to do with it. I don't think it all from God. But I try to be nice and listen. But this dream, she said, this is the dream I had. She said, I came into our church, but you weren't here. And I asked them where you were, and they said, he's already left. And she said, someone else was preaching. She said, and then I saw in the dream that you was outside, and you had these two huge umbrellas. They looked like almost umbrellas that sat over a patio table, but they were huge. And you folded them both, collapsed both of them, and you folded them and put them in the back of your pickup truck, and you drove away. And you drove off to the south. And I woke up. She said, I don't know, I have any idea what it means. She left my office and I sat there in tears because I knew immediately the interpretation of her dream. God was saying that a lot of times your vehicles or vehicle, a plane or a car or a truck, a lot of times that means your ministry, what God's called you to do. And so my covering apostolically over churches and pastors and pastorally, that I was closing those down there and I was moving them to here. And that I had already gone, and God was moving me to a different place in ministry. And God used that to, to speak to me. Amen? So God can speak to you in so many different ways, and a lot of times God can confirm stuff that you're worried about. 
stuff that you don't know, decisions that you don't know. And, and, and God knows that if you're struggling with it, and he wants you to have peace to make that decision, to know what to do. Do I take the job? Do I marry this person? <laughs> I remember one time when I got my, when I was in a denomination, a worldwide denomination, and I had never even asked for a church, but I had the, the overseer of that denomination call me and actually told me he wanted me to go to a church and he wanted me to be their pastor. But he wanted me to go up on a Thursday night, care of my family, let the people meet me, talk to them, blah, blah, whatever. And I did that, and the church was near Dublin, Georgia. And so I drove up, my wife and my three little kids at that time, and we went up there, and, and it was a nice church, and, you know, they were nice people. But me and my wife both knew that that wasn't where God wanted us. And so the overseer had told me he was going to call me on Sunday afternoon to get my answer. And so, on, and I was so worried, and I felt such pressure to take that church appointment because it was the first one. And it was a nice church, and it was, you know, and it was a nice parsonage and all that stuff, you know, whatever that meant. But that wasn't what I was in the ministry for. And I knew that I, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And my wife sure knew, but she was letting it, you know, she was like, if you take, you know, we'll go, but I don't think that's where we're supposed to be. So on Saturday night, I was so worried. I knew he was going to call me the next day, but I had a dream. God gave me a dream, and God clearly in that dream told me not to take that church. And so when the overseer called, he's a very important man, but when he got me on the phone, I told him I'm not going to take the appointment. You know what he said? He didn't say, well, that's great. You know, I just want you to obey God. Let me tell you what he said. He said, as long as I'm overseer, I'll never offer you another church again. <laughs> he said, that would have been a good appointment for a brand new man. He said, you won't hear nothing from me ever again. See how nice that was? See, when, when God's leading you, men won't always line up with it. They won't always understand it. But the important thing is that you just obey the Lord and what the Lord's telling you to do, even if somebody else don't understand it, because he's not talking to them. He wasn't the one going to have to move up there and deal with them people. I was going to be doing it. So I didn't go. You know what? When I didn't go and other pastor friends of mine found out I didn't accept that appointment, no lie. I had four or five come to me and say, man, I'm so glad, brother, you didn't take that church. And they told me horror stories about pastors up there that had been just about crucified up there. They said, we didn't want to say nothing to you. We want you to make the decision. But that was a good decision not to go up there, brother. Yay, God. But how did God choose to communicate that to me? He did in a dream. God uses dreams. And he speaks to us in dreams. And I believe he's speaking to you in dreams. Now listen to me. Listen, every one of you has God's dream, God's blueprint on, on your spirit. In other words, you have an innate spiritual gifted ability to recognize God's purpose and plan for your life. Now, I'm telling you that's the truth. Whether you believe me or not, it's there. And some of the ways that God uses dreams is to direct you into his past that he has for you. He also does it like he did with that dream to warn me, don't, don't take this, don't go here. And you can override those things, but I woke up that, sat, that Sunday morning and I knew very clearly that I was not to do it. And it gave me the confidence and the boldness, although he didn't see it, but it gave me the confidence and boldness to say I'm not taking that appointment. And he was true to his word. He never bothered me again for his four-year term. And that's fine because I don't want to be anywhere that God don't want me to be. My life is not some haphazard ping pong ball in a lottery machine just banging it against one another it is specific it is tailored it is purposeful and it's to be fruitful and that's and that's what God's got for every one of you and God is communicating to you through dreams and uh, a lot of times we're just not 
aware of what God's uh, saying to us because we've just gotten so, you know, used to just doing whatever that we feel like that we're supposed to do. do you, some of you remember God uses dreams sometimes to comfort you. You know, my dad died the day before Thanksgiving. And man, we have missed him and still do today. But just a few weeks before his death, uh, you know, we were so concerned about him. He had the uh, Louis body dementia. He, he was having an awful time. Just been so hard on our family, really for five years. And uh, hard on him, of course, and hard on my mom. And uh, But just a few weeks before he died, I was so concerned about him, and, and he'd actually had to go into a nursing home, and we never wanted that, but it, it just broke our hearts. And, uh, and I remember one night, because, you know, uh, prior to that, probably six months prior to that, my dad wanted to get rid of his pickup truck. He loved his truck, and uh, he'd put chrome where he wanted chrome. I mean, it was his truck, you know. But he needed the money, and he wanted the truck gone, and he really wasn't supposed to be driving anymore. And so they asked me to help get rid of the truck. And... Uh, and so I did. And so I helped him sell the truck. But boy, he missed it. And so in this dream, about just a few weeks before he died, and we didn't know he was going to die, um, he wouldn't have died if he hadn't have fallen and had brain bleed. Uh, he probably would have lived a long time. But just a few weeks before that, I had a dream. And in the dream, my dad come to me and said, I want you to help me get a, a new pickup. I want to get a pickup truck. And uh, so that sounds like my dad. So I drove him to a to a truck dealership and and uh, we pulled up and got out and was going to you know do like people do walk toward the pickups and look at it and a salesman came out to meet us and he said are you Mr. Young and uh, my dad said yes and uh, I said yeah we're, we're here to get him a, he wants to get another pickup truck and uh, he said well Mr. Young we was expecting you we already got your pickup truck around back just stand right here we'll bring it around and so here comes around the dealership a solid gold pickup truck I don't mean like you thought somebody got out in the shop and painted it gold. It's just hard to describe these things in dreams, but it was a gold pickup truck. And they drove around, and, uh, and my dad opened the door and got in it and closed the door, and I woke up. And in that dream, I knew God was saying, I'm about to pick up your dad, and he's going to go to glory. He's going, gold means glory a lot of times in the dream. He's going to be glorified. And, that, and I didn't run tell my mom that dream because I didn't want her to think dad was going to die. But I just treasured it in my heart. I did later tell my brother and sister, and it actually brought comfort to us and them because we kind of got in that place, and I don't know if this is a right or legal or wrong prayer, okay? And just because I'm a preacher don't mean we do everything just right, but I was like, God, come on, let him get healed or take him home because he's suffering bad, and that's kind of where we got as a family. Well, I guess you could say the Lord answered a prayer. He took him home, and uh, he didn't arrive to heaven sick, and he didn't arrive in heaven with dementia. He arrived in his right mind, knowing everybody, knowing the Lord, and, and uh, he had his best Thanksgiving and Christmas ever. Uh, ours kind of stunk, you know, because we missed him. But as far as him, he had the best one he's ever had. And God used a dream to bring comfort to my heart. Now, I'm almost done, but I'm, I'm trying to say to you that, you know, a lot of you dream, and, and over the years I've tried to help people understand their dreams. There's more and more dreams that, that I could tell you about. I remember one time in, in uh, I think it was 2005, I had a dream. It was so vivid and so clear. And in this dream, I was sitting on the church that I had long left years ago, but I was sitting on the second pew. And it had pews in that church. And, and on the front row, what nothing but teenagers, uh, uh, kids, and uh, teenagers there. 
the whole front pew was full of young people, like teenagers. Man, they were so pumped and excited about God and the things of God. And I was seated on the second row with my wife. And, and actually, my former pastor uh, was seated next to me. And right behind me was Oral Roberts seated. Isn't that kind of cool? And, uh, and so uh, there was a family that I knew. Their last name is Day, D-A-Y. And, uh, and I know the, the, this couple. Uh, I still know them very well. But when, uh, but I had lost track of, you know, I didn't know that they adopted a daughter. And I had never really met her, never. I, I knew they adopted a daughter. I kind of knew what, you know, she looked like. And so in my dream, she came to the stage, and she was singing and worshiping, and kind of preaching a little bit between her singing. But I remember it caught me because she was so demonstrative. And, you know, uh, you know what I mean by that? I mean, she was really, she was into it. And she was, you know, she looked like an octopus on crack or something like that. I mean, she was... I, I don't know what I'm trying to think, but she was moving a lot. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she had a lot of moves, and it was kind of struck me as weird in church. You know, it was like she was just like too into it or something. It was kind of almost getting on my nerves a little bit because she was just, I'm like, just stand there and sing, girl. What, 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 you know, you got to do all that move. But she was big in my dream. In my dream, she was doing all that. And I remember then Oral Roberts tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned back, and uh, I said, what's up? Oh, no, I just, I turned back in my dream. And old Robert said, I'm about to go to a church over here. And he told me some little old country church down a dirt road with about, you know, 20 people. And he told me that's where he was going to be speaking next week. And I'm thinking in my dream, you're old Roberts, man. What are you doing going to a little old church like that? And I, I didn't understand that. And then I turned and faced back the congregation, you know, watching her sing. And then my former pastor, he handed me some pictures that kind of looked like Polaroid pictures. And he wanted me to look at, he said, look at these pictures. And I, and I held the picture and started looking at them, and they would, it looked like a Polaroid picture. You know what I mean by that? You know? And then as I was holding the pictures, they started moving into a video. And, and, and I wasn't expecting a video. I'm expecting to look at a picture. But it turned into a full-fledged video, and the video is of a graduation ceremony. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and uh, thousands of people are in caps and gowns. But listen to me. Not one cap and gown was the same. That's weird at a graduation because most of them are the same except for the little, you know, ropes they wear and stuff. And, but they were all different, different colors. And listen, in my dream, I saw colors I've never seen. And yet the caps and grounds was material, but it looked like metal. It was metallic. I know it's hard to explain. That's what I saw. And, uh, and as I was looking at the pictures, I woke up. And so the primary responsibility to interpret a dream is you because you had it. And God's trying to talk to you. So I spent the next, you know, few days saying, God, what does this dream mean? Now, sometimes when you pray, God will use somebody to help interpret the dream. Sometimes the understanding will come to you by the Holy Spirit. But God wants you to know the dream. If it's from him, he gave it to you for a purpose. Are you with me? So in the dream, this is what the meaning of the dream was, and God showed me clearly. He said, son, he said, there is another move that's ahead of you. And that's just all these teenagers. And he said, I'm going to do tremendous things with teenagers. You know, they're, they're going to be excited about me. And, and, the reason, and the reason he said that, because what was that girl's name on the stage? What was her last name? What did I tell you it was? Day. God was saying there's a day. See, I didn't know her. God said there's a day that you're not familiar with. You're used to the old day. But there's a new day that's coming on the stage. And she's not going to do it just like you've done it. And she's going to be more demonstrative than you would be. And she's going to be more excited than you think she should be. But this is my move. And this is me. 
And, and you say, well, what's Oral Roberts got to do? God said healing is going to be coming and going into places that you would never think that healing would start with unknown people and unknown churches and not famous places, but the healing move of God and tremendous supernatural things are going to start occurring in some places that you would never thought they would start in. And God said that when looking at those pictures, it's graduation time for many of my people, and they're graduating into that next thing that I've called them into. And I'm, I'm promoting them. I'm advancing them in the kingdom. And he said those still pictures have become video because you didn't think it would move. But things in your life that you didn't think were move are now going to move. And there's going to be things that you've never seen before, but I'm going to do. And God was telling me to cooperate with my move. And that all come to me in the dream. Some of you know I've seen dreams that God's used because of what I do. And I've seen dreams prophetically, and I knew what to do on Sunday services. I saw a barren lady that wasn't even married and didn't have a boyfriend, but I saw her give birth on a Saturday night to a young girl. And I knew that was God, and God told me to call her out that Sunday morning and prophesy that to her. And she had been told she couldn't have a child and, and all that kind of stuff, and yet God gave her that little girl, and she's got that little girl today, and that little girl uh, is, is such a blessing. Uh, I've seen that kind of thing over and over. I knew who to pray for, what to do. I wish that was like that every Saturday night. Now, let me tell you, let me try to end with this about dream interpretation. You'd have the primary responsibility to pray and ask God, what does the dream mean to me? Numbers mean something to God. Colors mean something to God because he's the creator of both. Objects and things mean something to God. I remember this one guy had this dream, and in this dream, uh, he was at the church. Let me just ask this before I tell this. Uh, this is kind of a participating uh, part. How many of you had dreams where somebody chasing you in your dream? Okay. How many of you had a dream like that like recently? Anybody had a dream like that last night? You dreamed somebody was chasing you? How many of you had dreams that you were in a parking space, parking lot, parking garage? Hold your hand up. So you didn't think it would be many hands, but they were. How many of you that had those dreams that had about a parking space or parking lot or parking garage had that recently? All right? It's okay now. I'm not just going to, you know, you know. Chasing, being chased in your dream is right up there in the top 10. I'll say top 20 of what people dream. They're being chased in their dream. Another common with Christians a lot of times is you dream that you're in a parking lot, parking garage. You're in a parking space. You're in a car that's parked. Now, I'm not giving you a blanket. There is no blanket rule for interpreting stuff. But a lot of times when you have a dream that you're parked somewhere, you park there with intention, but you've parked there too long. And God is saying to some of you even here in this service today that you're parked and, 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 and you're, you're going nowhere right now. You're, 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 and God's wanting you to move forward. This guy that I'm talking about, that's a very common dream with people because you're, 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 you're status quo, you're, you're just sitting there. And God don't want you just sitting there. God's got wonderful things for your life. Don't, don't you understand, like, again, back to the Easter egg, don't you see those kids, how excited they are out there searching with their basket to find their stuff? And once they get in their basket, you know what they say? That's my egg. Because you let the other kid reach in there and try to get theirs, and there you got a fight going on. But God has saved stuff for you. Just like that little kid's excited. You, why would God speak like this? God wants you to not be lazy. God wants listen. God wants you to hide stuff. That's what the whole thing of gift wrapping is, dude. You know what I'm saying? 
you, you wrap up a present because you're concealing what is in it. And the fun is tearing the paper off and seeing what's on the inside. Because it's, that's, the, that's the part of excitement. Somebody's always hands you something that's not wrapped. Here you go. I mean, it's just like, come on, man, wrap it up. Spend $5, you know, give me some wrapping paper in a boat. Okay? So you got, you got that, that, that's part of the, the thing with this. All right, here, here's this dream. Like, this, is, this is a real dream. I'm not making this up. Okay, so this guy is uh, in a parking lot. And somebody comes up to him, and, 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 and they're faceless. He doesn't know them. And they say, it's going to cost you $86 to park here. And he's furious. He's frustrated, but he's furious. And he didn't want to pay $86, and he don't think he has $86 to pay to sit in the parking lot. And he's like, whoever charges $86? And in this dream, he opens up his wallet, and he sees his wallet's got a lot of money in it. And he reaches in the wallet, and he starts pulling out the money. And he, his wallet is filled, don't miss this, filled with $30 and $40 bills. And then he woke up. Did you catch it? Okay, so what's the interpretation? And he shares the dream. What's the interpretation of the dream? Okay, so who's the dream about? It's about him. It's not about the other guy that walked up because he's faceless in the dream. Most of the time that represents the Holy Spirit because he will not speak of his own accord but of him who sent him. He walks up and he says it's going to cost you $86 to stay here. Do you know what being parked, stagnant, not moving does? It costs you. You're paying a price because you're not moving forward in God's plan and blueprint for your life. It's costing you. God's not mad with you. He loves you, but it's costing you. You're paying a price to stay stagnant, to stay parked. You're only parked there so you could crank up and go somewhere else. You stayed there too long. Are you with me? Why $86? Numbers mean something to God. Now, most of you know this, don't have time. What does 8 mean in the Bible? Say it out loud. New beginnings. What does 6 mean in the Bible? Man. So this is what God is saying to them. He said, I'm going to bring a new beginning in your life and get you unparked, but you're going to have to deal with the things that are common to man. You're going to have to deal with those things that are common to man, and you'll have a new beginning, and also, I'm going to pay the price for you in a way that you never thought I could, because I'm going to use denominations of money that don't exist in your realm, but they do in mine, and I'm going to pay them with $30 and $40 bills because y'all don't have any, but I do. And God's going to use creative and new ways to bring finances into his life. Isn't that a good dream? Now, here's another one. The most popular people being chased in their dream. They're being chased. And sometimes it feels like, you can't, like you're running through molasses in your dream. And you just can't hardly go. And sometimes you don't even see who's chasing you. You just know you're being chased. Here's another real dream. I'm not making this up. So a girl's being chased in her dream. And she was in a parking garage. And she's being chased by a person. And she doesn't feel safe, and she's running what she thinks is for her life. And she runs and runs and runs, and she, and she runs to the gate to get out. And she tries to open the gate, but it's locked. Panic ensues. She can't get the door open, and so she has no alternative but to turn and go this way. And she runs, and she doesn't find a nice steel gate, but she finds a wooden door, and she opens the door, and there's a set of stairs that lead up. And she starts running up those stairs, and she gets to the top of the stairs where the light is, and then she wakes up. All right, what's God saying to this young lady? He's saying to you that you've been parked in a garage for a long time, and she's being pursued and chased, 
and, and, and she runs to where her always choice is. She runs to her first choice, which is a gate. But now it's locked. And she has to be sent to another place, and then there's steps. Now, here, here interpretation. Her first choice has a history of being wrong. The first place she runs to when there's danger, fear, trouble, heartbreak, or sorrow is a wrong choice for her. And if she keeps running to that same gate, she's going to keep making the same bad choice, and she's going to keep reliving history over and over again. So God's locking that gate where that will not be an option for her, and he's removing that option for her, so she'll have to choose another door. And that's the door that God wanted to choose because there he's going to lead her step by step into the places and dimensions that he has for her to go. The other thing that she saw while she was running is she just looked up and saw a watch clock or a tower, not like Big Ben, but something like that, and it was on the watch, the clock was on 7 o'clock. What does that have to do? 7 is the number of God, the perfect number. Don't let me tell you all the 7's in the Bible. 7 days, you know, it's just too much time. But what God is saying to her is all this that's going on in your life, darling, is happening in my timing. This is my timing. And God was bringing great blessing and moving her to where he had a blueprint on her spirit to be. And so sometimes God's communicating that kind of stuff. Now let me say this as I end this message today. I know it's a little bit different. I'm a grace preacher, but this is still grace. Just a different view of it. This is about God speaking to his children. Are you with me? You enjoying this or is this really boring? All right, so God's speaking to you. I want you to value the voice of the Lord. Now, one of the ways you can value the voice of God is you expect God to speak to you in the night because that's how he's designed you. And if you expect him to, hey, why don't you invest in this thing called a pen and a notepad and lay it by the nightstand, right by your bed, easily reachable, or either don't be lazy when you dream a dream and you wake up, doesn't matter what time it is, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you think it's the significance, get up, write it down. Because by 8 o'clock next morning, you'll be forgotten. You know why? Because you're not valuing the voice of the Lord. God's worth getting up for. I mean, if your kid called you at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know they're probably not calling you to wish you happy birthday. But, wouldn't, I mean, you know, I don't like those calls, but I'm going to answer it because something's wrong. You know, I think my kid's important to me. That's why I answer it, right? I'm going to put my phone on do not disturb just because I'm going to take a nap because I want my kids to be able to reach me or something if they need me. Well, value God's voice value that. Just value it and write it down. And then ask God to help you understand it. Hey, and, and listen to me. I'm saying this. If, you have, if you're here and you've dreamed a dream recently, you know, it, I mean, you don't have to. If you've dreamed a dream recently and you don't understand what it means but you think it's significant to you, then you send it to me. And, I, and I'll see if the Lord will, will show me something. And I'll help you. Now listen, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was a dreamer. Joseph was called, here, here comes this dreamer. Well, Daniel had dreams, and Daniel didn't always understand the dreams that he dreamed. God gave Pharaoh dreams. He gave Nebuchadnezzar dreams, national dreams, dreams about nation. Listen to me. You understand that back in, in uh, uh, 1998, uh, 97, to 97, on November the 1st, I had a dream. And in the dream, I actually saw the Lord appear. To me in the dream. And the Lord appeared to me and he just said these words. And, and I know you want to know what he looked like and all that. But, but it don't matter. Uh, I, and, I, and, and, and you might not believe it. And I'd, hey, 
I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, okay? But I, I had a dream, and in the dream, God said, Arise and study the Edmund Fitzgerald. He told me that. I had preached on that Sunday night, went to bed, uh, woke up that next day. It's November the 1st. And, uh, and, but when, when God spoke that to me during the night, I got out of my bed. And I went to my office, and I started uh, Googling or whatever, you know, everything I could find about the Edmund Fitzgerald. And as I did that, the Lord started speaking to me. And I also saw that we were close to the anniversary of the sinking of that iron ore carrier that sunk in Lake Superior, November the 10th, 1975, on Lake Superior. And when I, re- when I put that together in my mind, and I knew that I'm just nine days away from November the 10th, the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and God said, I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to release a tremendous sign on that day, on the same day. Now, here you're looking at a little old preacher that's dumb enough to go to his church on that Wednesday night and tell him. I told him everything. And Pastor Keith was there. I, mean, I, I, I told him what was going to happen, you know, that, that God was speaking. I didn't know, have the full understanding. I went to church on that following Sunday. We're getting closer now. Remember, we were nine days away. There's nothing in the news, nothing out there. We haven't heard doodly about the Edmund Fitzgerald. Last time we heard about the Edmund Fitzgerald was when Gordon Lightfoot in 1977 sung a song about the sinking of the Fitz. Anybody old enough remember that? Google it. It's a pretty good song. All right. But, and also, and when the Edmund Fitzgerald sung, it always said 29 men lost their lives. 29 men lost their lives. It's always up there in the bold print. Unlike the Titanic. Edmund Fitzgerald second in, in famous, only second to the Titanic. God was you. Now, why would God do that? Because it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the honor of kings to get to search it out. And so <clears throat> I told my congregation that Sunday what God was showing me. God was saying something. And I didn't know what the sign was, but I said there's going to be some kind of sign that's going to happen on the exact same day that happened 23 years ago. And people were looking at me like you're looking at me like, but see, I want you to know that I wrote the check before the money was in the bank on this one. You know what I mean by that? I told them what God said before there's anything out there. I went to church Monday, had a meeting at the church Monday night at 6 p.m. When the evening news came on, my phone started ringing off the hook, so to speak, at my house by my members. You know what they were all calling? Because now every news channel is talking about the Edmund Fitzgerald. The Weather Channel. They told me, one of my members said, you got TV on? I said, no. They said, turn it on to the Weather Channel. Turned it on, and behind the green screen, it says, ominous anniversary. November 10th, 1975. November 10th, 1997, I believe it was, or 98. I, I might be off on it. But that was the time when we were there. 23 years. I, I couldn't believe it. My jaw was just, because here God had spoke to me in a dream. And he told me to arise and study 10 days ago. And now the world media is talking about what God told me to, to tell them. And you know what happened on November the 10th that year? The same exact storm that sunk the fits happened on Lake Superior. I still have the NOAA weather radar of it. I can show it to you. You can look it up. You can pull it up. They keep all their charts. And there was an epicenter, almost like a hurricane, spinning in Lake Superior. And the tail of that thing went all the way into the Gulf of Mexico and moved across our country. And it's too, I don't have the time today to tell you the prophetic significance of what that dream meant and what God was saying to, to me, my church, and really to this nation in that day. You know what that dream did? Boy, when my people heard me say 10 days ago God told me to study the Fitzgerald, and 10 days later it's on every news channel, some people actually left my church. Can you believe that? Just like when Jesus cast demons out of hogs, 
People told him, please don't come back. Scared him. The power of God scares people. You know why? I mean, I don't mean I didn't have a lot leave. I just had this really this one family because that guy thought I could see his Playboy books between the mattress and the box spring that he had in. I guess I could see them. But I'd seen them a long time ago. But he thought prophetically I saw everything, every sin, everything. No. And if I did see anything, I would never yell it out. I'd just pray for you. It's, it made the church expectancy for faith and prophecy and dreams and visions, revelation so high. Such an awesome time. Why did God do it? I don't know. I, I don't know why. He, I mean, he wanted to communicate the truth to me, and I published that truth, and I, I put it out in print, and I, I wrote about it and talked about it. And God used a dream to communicate that to me. And God's using a dream to communicate to you. And I want you to listen to him when he talks to you. And I want you to write the dreams down. If you don't understand what your dream means and you believe it from the Lord, then you send it to me. I'm not saying I'll know the interpretation. But in Daniel, when he didn't understand a dream, you listen to me. God sent Gabriel. Listen what Gabriel told him. He said, I'm paraphrasing. I know you don't understand what the dream that you've had. Uh, but I have been sent from God to give you skill. Everybody say skill. To interpret the dream. To know its meaning. Now, there is people that have skill in interpreting dreams. Some of you are God called to interpret dreams, just like Joseph was. Some of you are to help people to find that blueprint and their way with God. Now, most of the time when God's used dreams, now you don't have a dream about, you know, uh, being a cowboy in, in Dallas and then, you know, just because you dream that one night, you don't load up the rider truck the next day. You got that much sense, right? A lot of people do stupid stuff. The Da Vinci Code or the, you know, dumb code. All that, listen, I don't get my Bible prophecy from Tom Hanks. I love him as an actor, but I'm not going to get my theology from the Da Vinci Code or any other kind of code or you trying to figure out. Because a lot of people that go to Scripture already have an agenda, and they try to use Scripture to back up their agenda. All we're doing is going to Scripture for Scripture to, hear, to see Jesus. And God's speaking to you, and he's directing you, and he's, he's leading you. And I don't want you to miss it. And this has been on my heart so strong, and I knew this was a Sunday to talk about it. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about mysteries. I mean, how much is God really involved in your life? Does he really know when the sparrow falls? Are the hairs of your head really numbered? I mean, does God really intervene in your life? I mean, what's that all about? And if he does, how does he do it? Does he still do it today? Or did he write a book, shut up talking, and say, I see y'all at the rapture? No. If you really just kind of wake up now, this thing here that you and I are in, this journey called a Christian life, pretty exciting. It's full of mystery. Get your basket. Go hunt them eggs. God hit them for you. They got your name on them. There's wonderful things to find. I liked it when they started putting the toys and prizes inside them plastic eggs. You can't eat but so many hard boils. You know what I'm saying? But you can open them eggs, and then inside there's toys. That's what them kids like. Not only do they find an egg, but now what's inside that egg? Not only do you find what God's hid for you, what's inside that for you? What's God speaking to you? What's that blueprint that he put on your spirit? What's God trying to communicate to you? Where is he trying to lead you? And, he, what, what, and, and he's warning you what the enemy is trying to come up with to stop you. And in that dream, he's trying to warn you. This is the devil's plan to stop you, to keep you parked in that garage so you don't ever move forward. But I want to tell you that I'm going to lead you to the right door and stop going after the first choice you always come to. And God's going to do that. God said, I can give you $30 and $40 bills. You never heard of that, huh? But God says, I got them. Got my own printing press. 
I wouldn't run down to the bank with a $30 bill if you get a little one, but God can do some awesome stuff. Stand with me, please. Elders, would you come and help, help me pray if somebody wants prayer? If not, I'm going to dismiss the church in about 30 seconds. Say hallelujah. It was good, preacher. Give Jesus praise if it was. How many can't wait to get home and go to sleep? Glory to God to get your dream. Hey, man, you might get it on your Sunday nap as long as you're asleep, okay? God can speak to you. And, uh, you know, I wanted God last night before I went to sleep. I said, now, you know, Papa, you know what I'm going to be uh, talking about tomorrow. I would really appreciate like an awesome supernatural dream that I could share with him tomorrow that you gave me tonight. You think God did that? No way. <laughs> Was my dream from God last night? No way. But I still came to share the truth with you anyway. And I got enough sense to know how to eat around a T-bone. I eat the meat and throw the bone away. Hang on that that's good, Paul told the church. Hold on that that's true. And I'm just, but every night when I go to bed, some nights I wish I didn't dream because I dream in vivid, vivid dreams. Sometimes they're exhausting. But God has used them to communicate to me. I never seem to get a dream when I pray for one. But when I just relax and let God be God, he said, I'll send you one when you need one. And he knows when you're troubled. He knows when you're worried. He knows when you're anxious. He knows how to use a dream to bring comfort to you. He knows how to warn you of the enemy's plans so you don't step into those plans and, and miss your purpose. God wants you to enjoy the trip. And he's hid some wonderful things for you. He's a good daddy. He's a real good daddy. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for their heart and their attention this morning. Lord, I know you're doing it. Just keep speaking to them. Awaken them in the night with dreams and visions. Show us the mysteries and the wonderful things that you've hidden for us. Father, we bless you today. We thank you for what you're doing in this church and in the lives of your people. I pray this year that they would hear your voice so clearly. They would receive the messages, the communications from you, from the Holy Spirit. They would know your voice. They wouldn't be deceived by the plans of the enemy, but they would be led into the blueprint that you have, that you have imprinted upon their spirits. God, may they fulfill their eternal purpose that you've created them for and enjoy the ride and enjoy the journey. I pray for them today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You're dismissed, church. <laughs>